0: Audio 51, Congregation of the Dead, Part 41, Proverbs twenty-one sixteen, The man that wandereth out of the way of understanding shall remain in the congregation of the dead. O Lord, in wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk 3.2. In our last message, we found that our fast food free will friends unashamedly want to abort the spiritual sin cancer of our heart awakening and offer again to us the fake leaves of morality to ease the weight of the sin burden from our back from john bunyan's famous book entitled pilgrim's progress an allegory on salvation written in 1678 never being out of print we found that the allegorical character mr worldly wiseman duke christian into journeying to Mr. Legality's house to have Mr. Legality loose the burden from Christian's back instead of waiting for Christ to loose that burden and experience not a fake conversion, but a genuine conversion. Let us review this excerpt from Pilgrim's Progress. At first, let us set the table by reminding ourselves that the allegorical character Evangelist righteously angered because Christian had veered off his course en route to the wicked gate explains the following to Christian quote and for this thou Christian must consider to whom he Mr. Worldly Wiseman sent thee and also how unable that person, that is, Mr. Legality, was to deliver thee from thy burden. He to whom thou was sent for ease, being by name Legality, is the son of the bondwoman, who now is, and is in bondage with her children, and is in a mystery This Mount Sinai, which thou hast feared, will fall on thy head. Now, if she with her children are in bondage, how canst thou expect by them to be made free? This legality, therefore, is not able to set thee free from thy burden. No man was as yet ever rid of his burden by him. No nor is like to be, yet cannot be justified by the works of the law, for by the deeds of the law no man living can be rid of his burden. Once we begin to realize that our big leaves of morality can only cover up the evil proclivities of our heart, but cannot eradicate them, in fact, the harder we try to erase these evil proclivities of our heart by attempting to follow the commands of god the more evil proclivities we see and feel that the burden of original sin on our back is getting heavier and heavier christian from pilgrim's progress experienced this when he came near the hill that would be mount sinai where moses received the ten commandments And this hill was near Mr. Legality's house. And as Christian approached the hill, his burden got heavier and heavier, and he thought the hill which overhung him might fall on him. The commandments were exposing the evil proclivities of his heart more and more. And so he stopped and went no further towards Mr. Legality's house. Quote, again from Pilgrim's Progress. So Christian turned out of his way to go to Mr. Legality's house for help. But behold, when he was got now hard by the hill, it seemed so high. And also the side of it that was next the wayside did hang so much over that Christian was afraid to venture farther lest the hill should fall on his head. Wherefore, he stood still and knew not what to do. Also, his burden now seemed heavier to him than while he was in his way. There came also flashes of fire out of the hill that made Christian afraid that he should be burned. Here, therefore, he sweat and did quake for fear. Now, we will review the story when Evangelist shows up and scolds Christian for veering off the straight path to the wicked gate that Evangelist had set him toward. Quote, Then did Christian again a little revive and stood up trembling as at first before Evangelist. Evangelist, what dost thou hear, Christian? said he at which words christian knew not what to answer wherefore at present he stood speechless before him then said evangelist further art not thou the man that i found crying outside the walls of the city of destruction christian yes dear sir i am the man evangelist did not i directly the way to the little wicked gate? Christian, yes, dear sir, said Christian. Evangelist, how is it then that thou art so quickly turned aside? For thou art now out of the way. Then evangelists proceeded, saying, give more earnest heed to the things that I shall tell thee of. I will now show thee who it was that deluded thee. And who it was also to whom he sent thee. The man that met thee is one worldly wise man. And rightly is he so called. Partly because he savors only the doctrine of this world. That is the doctrine of free will. As opposed to the doctrine of the bondage of the will. Therefore... He, worldly wise man, always goes to the town of morality to church. And partly because he loves that doctrine best. For it saves him from the cross. And because he is of this carnal temper, therefore he seeks to pervert my ways, though right. Now, there are three things in this man's counsel that thou must utterly abhor. Number one, his turning thee out of the way. Number two, his laboring to render the cross odious to thee. Number three, and his setting thy feet in that way that leads unto the administration of death First, thou must abhor turning thee out of the way, yea, and thine own consenting thereto. Because this is to reject the counsel of God for the sake of the counsel of a worldly wise man. The Lord says, agonize to enter in at the straight gate that is, the wicked gate to which I sent thee. For straight is the gate that leads unto life, and few there be that find it. From this little wicked gate, and from the way thereto, hath this wicked man, worldly wise men, turned thee to the bringing of thee almost to destruction. Hate, therefore, his turning thee out of the way. And abhor thyself for hearkening to him. Secondly, thou must abhor his laboring to render the cross odious unto thee. For thou art to prefer it above the treasures in Egypt. Besides, the king of glory hath told thee that he that will save his life, shall lose it. And he that comes after him and hates not his father and mother and hates not his wife and children, his brethren and sisters, yea, and hates not his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. I say, therefore, for man to labor to persuade thee that thou shalt be thy death, without which the truth has said, thou canst not have eternal life. This doctrine thou must abhor. Thirdly, thou must hate his setting of thy feet in the way that leadeth to the ministration of death. And for this thou must consider, to whom he sent thee. And also how unable that person was to deliver thee from thy burden. He to whom thou was sent for ease, being by name, legality, is the son of the bondwoman, who now is, and is in bondage with her children. And is in a mystery, this Mount Sinai, which thou hast feared will fall on thy head. Now, if she with her children are in bondage, how canst thou expect by them to be made free? This legality, therefore, is not able to set thee free from thy burden. No man was at yet ever rid of his burden by him. No, nor ever is like to be. You cannot be justified by the works of the law, for by the deeds of the law, no man living can be rid of his burden. Therefore, Mr. Worldly wise man is an alien. And Mr. Legality is a cheat. And for his son, civility, notwithstanding his simpering looks, he is but a hypocrite and cannot help thee. Believe me. There is nothing in all his noise that thou hast heard of these sottish men, but at design to beguile thee of thy salvation by turning thee from the way in which I had set thee. After this evangelist called aloud to the heavens for confirmation of what he had said. And with that there came words and fire out of the mountain under which poor Christians stood that made the hair of his flesh stand up. The words were thus pronounced as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse of the law. That is curse to hell. For it is written by Moses. Cursed is everyone that continues not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Now Christian looked for nothing but death and began to cry out lamentably even cursing the time in which he met with Mr. Worldly Wiseman, still calling himself a thousand fools for hearkening to his counsel. He also was greatly ashamed to think that this gentleman's arguments, flowing only from the flesh, should have that prevalency with him as to cause him to forsake the right way. This done, he applied himself again to evangelists in words and sense as follows. Christian, sir, what think you? Is there any hope? May I now go back and go up to the wicked gate? Shall I not be abandoned for this and sent back from thence ashamed? I am sorry. I have hearkened to this man's counsel. But may my sin be forgiven. Evangelist. Then said Evangelist to him, Thy sin is very great. For by it thou hast committed two evils. Thou hast forsaken the way that is good to tread in forbidden paths. Yet will the man at the gate receive thee, for he has good will for men. Only, said he, Take heed that thou turn not aside again, lest thou perish from the way, when his wrath is kindled but a little. Then did Christian address himself to go back, and Evangelus, after he had kissed him, gave him one smile and bade him Godspeed. now let us go back and pull up this paragraph from evangelist advice and for this thou christian must consider to whom he mr worldly wiseman sent thee and also how unable that person mr legality was to deliver thee from thy burden He to whom thou was sent for ease, being by name legality, is the son of the bondwoman, who now is and is in bondage with her children and is in a mystery, this Mount Sinai, which thou hast feared will fall on thy head. Now, if she with her children are in bondage, how canst thou expect by them to be made free? This legality, therefore, is not able to set thee free from thy burden. No man was as yet ever rid of his burden by him. No, nor is ever like to be. Ye cannot be justified by the works of the law, for by the deeds of the law no man living can be rid of his burden. So Mr. Legality is the son of the bondwoman. But who is this bondwoman? Former Mr. Morality tells us who this bondwoman is and she happens to be not abraham's wife but this bond woman is hagar who is sarah's egyptian servant who abraham and sarah agreed that abraham would have a child with her because sarah was barren instead of waiting on god to impregnate sarah through abraham even though she was past menopause thus hagar had a son named Ishmael. In short, just as Mr. Legally desired to take the burden off Christian's back before Christian reached the wicket gate and God removed the burden, instead of Abraham and Sarah waiting for God to miraculously give her a child at 99 years old, they provided themselves a child through Hagar. And God was not pleased with them, for God promised them a child. But like Christian going to Mr. Legality's house to falsely ease Christian of his burden, Abraham and Sarah made a child happen by getting her Egyptian servant pregnant through Abraham. Now let us listen to how former Mr. Morality rebukes his Galatian brethren for falling away from the truth by putting themselves back under the law. They should have known better as Christians, not to go back to Mr. Legality's house. Former Mr. Morality is very upset with his Galatian brethren, like Evangelist was against Christian. Here is part of former Mr. Morality's rebuke. He is speaking to his Galatian brethren. Galatians chapter 4, verse 20. I, former Mr. Morality, desire to be present with you now and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. Verse 21, tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? Verse 22, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid. Hagar the other by a free woman Sarah verse 23 but he Ishmael who was of the bond woman Hagar was born after the flesh but he Isaac of the free woman Sarah was by promise verse 24 which things are an allegory for these are the two covenants that is the covenant of works and the covenant of grace the one from mount sinai which genereth to bondage which is hagar verse 25 for this hagar is mount Sinai in Arabia and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. There's a lot packed into that passage. And we will look into it in detail over the next several messages. But now, first, let us go back to former Mr. Morality's opening statement. Galatians chapter 4, verse 20. I, former Mr. Morality, desire to be present with you now. And to change my voice. For I stand in doubt of you. Verse 21. Tell me ye that desire to be under the law. Do ye not hear the law? Why would Formalist Morality say, do you not hear the law? Do we remember from our last message that Moses received not the commandments in peace and tranquility, but in a smoke like a furnace with a quaking and thundering Mount Sinai, Exodus 19, verse 18. And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace and the whole Mount quaked greatly. Why did God not bring the commandments in peace and tranquility? But in Exodus 20, verse 19, And they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. Verse 20, And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God is come to prove you, that is, test you, and that his fear may be before your faces. Why? That ye sin not. So the commands of God were given to prove or test us that our Lord's fear might be before our faces why that we sin not keep in mind that sinning is law breaking and just in the secular world most of us fear breaking the law if the law is being enforced but we as detriment americans do not see the Ten Commandments or the law as the loaded gun pointing at us condemning us to hell but we see the law as a way of obtaining virtue and is innately embedded in our DNA. If we know for sure that our laws in America will be in force does it not create a certain amount of fear in us and thus restrains us from breaking our American laws. But what if it is like it is in America today, when in our liberal cities, the law is very loosely enforced, the crime rate is skyrocketing, and the general public is now endangered by criminals running amok. But God's laws in America are no longer feared. And thus, not only are America's laws not feared, but neither are God's. Laws feared in America. Thou shalt not commit adultery or thou shalt not fornicate. Fornication in America is so normal it is as rampant and shameless as breathing. Thou shalt keep the Sabbath. From 1620 when the Pilgrims arrived to about 1960s, most stores in America were closed on Sunday. And now except for Chick-fil-A, most retail stores are open on Sunday. Thou shalt not kill. In America today, we have teens involved in mass murder. There are 47 murders per day in America. Thou shalt not steal. Washington State alone is expecting 50,000 car thefts in 2022. Just think how much more moral America would be if every American home business, school, church had the Ten Commandments hanging on their wall in view of the public, and we actually enforce God's commandments. But we as natural men Americans do not fear God's law no more than the Israelites did. Exodus 19, 7, and Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all these words which the lord had commanded them. verse 8 and all the people answered together and said all that the lord hath spoken we will do really well history shows that israel did not follow god's law And they were overthrown in 597 B.C. and again in 70 A.D., ceasing to be, again, a nation until 1949. So why are we born into this world not fearing God's commandments? For if we innately, as individuals, feared God's commandments of perfection, we would not have this horrific criminality that we see in America today. Answer? We all know we are liars by nature, envious by nature, etc. But it is also in our DNA to attempt to follow the law as best we can. And this becomes our fig leaves of morality, covering over our lying sin nature, our envious sin nature, our adulterous sin nature, our murderous sin nature, etc. Even The man on death row thinks he has done enough good that will outweigh the murder he committed. Thus, we all give ourselves a personal pass into heaven, not using common sense to figure out that we cannot be admitted into heaven, lest we be holy, for heaven is holy or sinless. Therefore, we innately use the commandments to create virtue in our lives. And thus, thinking God will give us an okay not into the pearly gates. So it is totally against the DNA of us natural men, Americans, to believe that the commandments are the loaded gun pointing at us and condemning us to hell. For we cannot attain perfection perfection as prescribed by god in order to make us holy but we are born into this world believing that our fig leaves of morality that is following the law partially but not perfectly will cover over the evil proclivities of our heart enough that god will give us the okay not into heaven but common sense tells us this cannot be true god cannot take a liar into heaven or we must be holy, or follow God's commandments perfectly to be admitted into heaven. The commands of God are to work wrath in our lives, not virtue, as all of us natural men Americans innately believe. For it is in our DNA to believe that the commands of God work virtue in our lives. But the commands have two separate functions. We are to follow Jesus, and jesus followed his father in heaven's commandments perfectly and thus jesus expects us to follow them perfectly lest we be cursed to hell matthew chapter 5 verse 48 jesus commands us i command you be ye therefore perfect even as your father which is in heaven is perfect former mr in Galatians chapter 3 verse 10 says this for as many as are of the works of the law which means you try to follow the commands partially are under the curse of the law that is cursed to hell For it is written by Moses cursed that is to hell is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. The second function of the law is to show us that the fountain from which all evil in this world flows is right out of our own heart. Let us again listen to Pilgrim's Progress to see how John Bunyan The author of Pilgrim's Progress allegorically portrays the evil proclivities of our heart or our sin nature or our original sin. Quote, Then the interpreter took Christian by the hand and led him into a very large parlor that was full of dust because never swept. The which after he had reviewed a little while, The interpreter called for a man to sweep. Now, when he began to sweep, the dust began so abundantly to fly about that Christian had almost therewith been choked. Then said the interpreter to a damsel that stood by, Bring hither the water and sprinkle the room, the which, when she had done it, was swept and cleansed with pleasure christian then said christian what means this interpreter the interpreter answered this parlor is the heart of a man that was never sanctified by the sweet grace of the gospel the dust is his original sin that is his evil proclivities of his heart and inward corruptions that have defiled the whole man that is his evil proclivities of his heart have defiled the whole man he that began to sweep at first is the law but she that brought water and did sprinkle it is the gospel now whereas thou sawest that so soon as the first began to sweep the dust, that is the original sin or the evil proclivities of our heart, the dust did so fly about that the room by him, that is him who swept, could not be cleansed, but that thou wast almost choked therewith. This is to show thee that the law Instead of cleansing the heart by its working from sin, doth revive, put strength into, and increase it in the soul, even as it doth discover and forbid it. For it doth not give power Subdue the law does not give power to to subdue, it simply exposes the evil proclivities of our heart. Again, as thou sawest the damsel sprinkle the room with water upon which it was cleansed with pleasure that is, ease this is to show thee that when the gospel comes. In the sweet and precious influence thereof to the heart, then I say, even as thou sawest the damsel lay the dust by the sprinkling the floor with water, so is sin vanquished and subdued, and the soul made clean through the faith of it, and consequently fit for the king of glory to inhabit now again, the first function of the law as new creations is the recognition that the law demands perfection. And anything less than perfection is falling short of the glory of God and his sin. The second function of the law was just portrayed above. He that began to sweep at first is the law. The dust is original sin and he that began to sweep is the law. And the broom of the law or the broom of the commands of god are not to bring virtue in our lives but the commands are to be used to stir up the dust that is stir up the evil proclivities of our heart making them come alive to us that is making them a reality in our lives that we might forbid them through repentance and then by faith look to the promises of god The DNA of us, natural men Americans, is to do just the opposite. That is, to try hard to follow the law, to cover over the evil proclivities of our heart, to appease our conscience. For it is in the DNA of all of us Americans that our ticket to heaven is that our good will outweigh our evil. And thus, we instinctively use the commands to create virtue in our lives That we might be accepted by god after we die and meet him at the pearly gates but if we use the law to expose the evil proclivities of our heart we see more and more evil or if we try to follow the law to perfection we also find we cannot achieve that perfection for we see more and more little imperfections that is more and more Little evil proclivities of our heart that we have not perfected. Former Mr. Morley says it this way. Romans chapter 7, verse 21. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil, that is the evil proclivities of my heart, is present with me. Therefore, whether we use the broom of the law to stir up the evil proclivities of our heart or we attempt to obtain perfection through the law, we feel the weight of our sin nature increasing and becoming a burden on our back that begins to incapacitate us. So what do we do but go to the doctor to get a spiritual MRI? Because the spiritual burden on our back seems to be increasing in size therefore we explain to the spiritual surgeon what is ailing us and he agrees with us that we need a spiritual mri and he tells us come back in a week so a week later we come back to the doctor and the nurse comes out and tells us to have a seat and the doctor will come out to see us not too long after the doctor comes out with his head down and we are thinking to ourselves, it doesn't look good. Slowly, the doctor lifts his head and with a sad countenance says, I'm so sorry. And we being cowboy Americans say, it is okay, doc, give it to us straight, we can take it. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry to tell you, but you have the horrific disease of sin, cancer, sin, cancer of the heart, which is the worst kind. Then we say, it's okay, doc. Just tell us, is it terminal? The doc says, I'm afraid so. We say, how long do we have to live, doc? The doc says, it is a very unpredictable disease. It could be minutes from now or 60 to 70 years from now depending on your age we say really how is that possible the spiritual doctor says it is a controlled disease so we say as natural men Americans controlled by who the doctor said most likely you don't know him for If he hasn't revealed himself to you, then definitely you don't know him. We say, well, can he cure our sin cancer? The doctor says, from what I understand, he can cure you. We say, well, how do we get an appointment with him? The doctor says, well, that is the problem. He is very unpredictable who he gives appointments to. Can I tell you this? He's not a union worker. He doesn't go by seniority or first come first serve. For it seems his program is such that the first are last and the last are first. Like I say, he is a very unpredictable sin cancer of the heart surgeon. So we say, well, where do we find him? The spiritual doctor says that is another problem. He doesn't have an office he is a mobile sin cancer of the heart surgeon he comes to you by surprise but it will be the most glorious day of your lives when he shows up no nauseating chemo or killer radiation he is a very high-tech organ transplant expert and you are cured immediately we say well what about our sin cancer heart what is the cause of our sin cancer the spiritual doctor says the word sin means law-breaking and so your heart is a law-breaking heart that is not repentant over its breaking of the law and therefore is called a non-repentant stony heart and he transplants it with a tender repentant heart of flesh But he doesn't take away the evil proclivities, but magnifies them. What do you mean, Doc, that he magnifies them? The doc says, just before he does the transplant, he circumcises our stony heart. And we see in living color all the vileness of the evil proclivities of our heart. It's dreadfulness, it's wickedness, it's heinousness a nature of pure diabolicalness, a nature full of such ineradical evils as lying, fornication, adultery, murder, theft, false witness, Sabbath breaking, covetousness of our neighbor's wife and home, idol worship, and fake free will Jesus worship. And therefore, for the first time in our life, we see ourselves so vile that we are in agreement with God that we truly do have sin cancer of the heart for we are now 100 percent convinced that the fountain from which all evil flows in this world comes right out of our own heart so we say to the spiritual doc now that we see how evil a heart we have does this physician finish the transplant and give us a new spiritual heart the doc says absolutely and this new heart is circumcised and is open for our viewing, and it is so ugly and vile to us that it becomes not only a circumcised heart, but a broken and repentant heart. Because now we are aware that we are continually falling short of the glory of God, and we know wholeheartedly that we deserve to go to hell, and feeling the wretchedness of our heart we blurt out to the great physician who shall deliver us from this body of death so we say to the doc does this great physician hear us when we say oh wretched man that i am who shall deliver us from the body of this death this heinous condemnable sin cancer of the heart yes he will hear us and he will say i the spiritual cancer of the heart surgeon will deliver you from the body of this death. But how can he deliver us from our body of this death if our heart is still evil? Answer, remember the new heart is a tender, repentant heart. No longer a natural man, American, stony heart. But we say to the doc, even if we are repentant, this heart is still as evil as it was before the transplant. How can we go to heaven with an evil heart? The doc says to us, He hasn't finished the spiritual surgery yet. This great spiritual physician has a spiritual father, and he voluntarily made a covenant with his father to passively be made sin for us. That is, our sin nature was placed on his son, and thus his father had to condemn his son to hell in our stead in order to be a just father who followed his own laws. So we say to the doc, why would he love wretches like us? Take on the weeping and gnashing of teeth for us. What kind of love is this? The doc replies, he was made in the likeness of man and suffered in hell in our stead that he could 100% relate to us and feel our pain and thus could shed abroad in our heart his love via his spirit dwelling in us driving us by faith to live 100 percent for him it is the love of christ's love living in us that we are experiencing that drives us to forsake all in order that we might live for him and because it is a joy unspeakable we can't help but spread the good news Wherever we go. So we say to the doc, now that we have a repentant heart, we must be fit for heaven. The doctor says, no. And we say, we think we get it. Even though this great physician did take on our hell sentence for us, we still have that evil sin nature that is not holy. And we must be holy in order to go to heaven. Say to the doc, what is the next spiritual operation he must perform on us? The doc says, to be holy like Adam was before he fell, we must be sinless. And the only way that that can happen is for the great physician to extract, remove, or transplant our self-righteousness with a perfect righteousness. So we say to the doc, how do we get this perfect righteousness that makes us holy or sinless? Or makes us perfect doc says you get that perfect righteousness by faith so we say to the doc but where does this perfect righteousness or perfect fulfillment of the law come from the doc says do you have any idea who this great spiritual physician is we say to the doc no we have no idea who he is we have never met him and you told us he was not only very unpredictable in who he chooses to heal And he doesn't have a normal doctor's office here on earth, but he is a mobile doctor and finds us and comes to us at his pleasure, not ours. And thus it appears we never know him until he shows up and reveals himself to us. So the doc says to us, have you ever heard of Jesus? We say, well, of course we have. Almost all of us Americans have heard of Jesus. The doc says, have you ever heard that he is called the god man we say yes probably most of us have the doc says it is easy to know the man's side of the god man jesus for all of us natural man americans can read or hear about him and get an idea of who he is but none of us natural man americans can know the god side of the god man for the God side of the God-man Jesus is spiritual. And it is not until Jesus completes the transplants of our spiritual organs and then pours his spirit into us that we become a new spiritual creation and thus our spiritual, enabling us to know the spiritual side of the God-man. In other words, as natural men Americans, you have heard and know about the man side of the God-man, but you cannot come to know the God side of the God-man for the God side of the God-man is spiritual. And in order to come to know the spiritual God-man, you must be created a new spiritual creation by Jesus, the God-man himself. We say, well, if the spiritual surgery is part way done, Now that we know that Jesus is the great physician, how do we become sinless or holy? The doc says, you have heard that Jesus was crucified and then three days later he rose from the dead. We say, yes, we do. The doc says, do you know the true meaning or the takeaway for us personally of the resurrection? We say, not really. The doc says, Jesus' father says that he that knew no sin was made original sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. In other words, when it is said that the father's son knew no sin, that means he kept all his father's commandments on earth here for 33 years perfectly for us. In other words, he fulfilled the moral law for us as a gift of grace to us so that we would be legally holy or sinless in his father's courtroom. So we say, how do we get this perfect obedience to be like our own perfect obedience? The doc says, Jesus must transplant your self-righteousness, which you think innately is your ticket into heaven with his perfect righteousness. That is, just as He took away your stony heart and transplanted it with a new repentant heart, He takes away your self-righteousness or your fig leaves of morality or your desire to do the best you can do to follow His commandments. And He transplants that with His perfect righteousness that is his perfect obedience that is his robe of righteousness that is his wedding garment so that when his father looks down from heaven he sees his son's perfect fulfillment of the law as your perfect fulfillment of the law or he sees his son's perfect righteousness as your own perfect righteousness making you legally fit for heaven in his father's courtroom. The problem is your self-righteousness or fig leaves of morality is so embedded in your natural man American DNA that you will not willingly allow Jesus to take away your fig leaves of morality from you. For you will hide yourself as Adam and Eve did when you hear the voice of the true Jesus. For your self-righteousness is your security blanket and is your ticket into heaven, you think. So we say, what should we do? The doc says, each day ask God to help you see one more evil proclivity that you didn't see the day before, in order that you eventually might see that all the evil in this world flows directly out of your heart, in order that you might see yourself as God sees you. That is, that your heart is damning you to hell, in order that you are left with no other option but to flee to the righteousness of Jesus Christ by faith, for your salvation. So we say to the doc, how long will this take before we desire our self-righteousness to die a death, that Jesus might impute his righteousness to us as a gift of grace? The doc says, it varies. It could happen within minutes, or some of us may have to agonize for years to enter in at the straight gate. But as long as we are still alive physically, there is always hope from our perspective that Jesus might find us, that is, find his lost sheep, before we die physically. For this whole life is simply a testing ground to see if we can enter into straight as a gate and narrow as a way before we die. So we say to the doc, if jesus fulfilled the law or commands of our father for us and it is an abomination for us to add to what jesus fulfilled perfectly for us what do we do with the commands the doc responds as we have mentioned many times it is in the dna of all of us natural man americans from conception to use the commands of god as our fig leaves of morality to cover over our sin nature enough in order that we might falsely feel we are fit for heaven. That is, it is in our DNA to use the commands of God to create enough virtue in our lives to make us feel falsely fit for heaven. I say falsely, for it is a false ticket into heaven, even though we ourselves think it is the actual ticket into heaven. So we ask... How do we get rid of using the commands to create fake fig leaves of morality to cover over the nakedness of our evil heart? The doc says, you can't get rid of it completely, for it is part of your nature. And just like you needed to have your unrepentant stony heart transplanted by surgeon Jesus with a tender repentant heart of flesh, you need to have your fig leaves of morality or your attempting to follow the law partially or your self-righteousness to be removed and transplanted with the spiritual function of the law when jesus makes you a new spiritual creation in the dna of that new spiritual creation will be embedded the spiritual function of the law with a remnant of the fig leaves of morality that needs to be tamped down this new spiritual law has two innate functions. Number one, the law demands 100% perfection, which is impossible, throwing our new spiritual nature to the feet of Jesus in fear and trembling, crying out for mercy. As we, with tears of joy, feel Jesus reaching down and gently and lovingly lifting us up, saying, Fear not, my Father's wrath is subdued, for I have fulfilled. The moral law for you perfectly just by faith believe me and lay a hold of my righteousness and completely discard and reject your self-righteousness the second function of the law is to use the law as a broom to stir up the evil proclivities of your heart you might first forbid these evil proclivities but also repent over them before they become an act of sin. In short, the new innate spiritual meaning of the law in your new creation is that perfect really does mean perfect. Humbling you, the broom of the law, stirring up the dust of the evil proclivities, makes evil always present with you when you attempt to do good, keeping you in a continual life of repentance. So we say to the doc, this new creation sounds wonderful. A new repentant heart of flesh to replace our unrepentant stony heart. The drudgery of our self-righteousness being used as big leaves of morality to be replaced with Christ's perfect righteousness. A new spiritual use of the law to replace the Mr. Legality of our heart making us to easily shun the counsel of the Mr. Worldly Wiseman's of this world. A new spiritual use of the law to humble us, making us serve the Lord with and rejoice with trembling at the feet of Jesus as we wipe our tears of joy from his feet, as he with his loving arms is lifting us up, saying, Fear not, I have prepared a wedding garment for you. Please come to the marriage supper. And he gives us the repentant heart to come that we might be joined to Christ in marriage. For Mr. Morality, one of the worst persecutors of the church, says to his followers in Rome the following. Romans chapter 7 verse 4. Wherefore, my Roman brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ in order that, Ye, along with myself, should be married to another, even to Christ, who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. So, Doc, when we finally reach the wicked gate, our sin cancer of the heart surgeon shows up unexpectedly and makes us a new creation. What will it feel like as a new creation? The doc says, it will feel and look like this following woman who, though at one time was a very ungodly woman, now sees that her heart was way worse than she ever thought it was, but that her heart was no more evil than the most moral woman in Israel. For the entire human race are conceived into this world with the same evil heart from which all the evil in this world flows which should make us flee with tears of joy to the righteousness of Christ as our fulfillment of the law, for us as our ticket into heaven. If we have yet to become a new creation, we have yet to experience the gratefulness of this sinner woman. We have yet to experience the indebtedness of this sinner woman. We have yet to experience the comprehension of this sinner woman. We have yet to experience the tears of joy that this sinner woman is experiencing compared to a fast food free will Pharisee who is clueless to the love of Christ's love living in her and every true believer. Dr. Luke chapter seven, verse 36. And one of the Pharisees, a fast food free will preacher, desired Jesus that he would eat with him. And Jesus went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meat. verse 37, and behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought An alabaster box of ointment. Very expensive. Verse 38. And stood at Jesus' feet behind him weeping. And began to wash his feet with tears. That is of joy. And did wipe them with the hairs of her head. And kissed Jesus' feet. And anointed them with the ointment. Verse 39. Now when the Pharisee, which had bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, that is Jesus, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him. For she is a sinner. Verse 40. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And Simon saith, Master, say on. So Jesus said, verse 41, There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50 pence. Verse 42. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, Simon, which one of them will love him most? Verse 43, Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And Jesus said unto Simon, Thou hast rightly judged. Verse 44, and Jesus turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house, Simon, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears, that is, tears of joy, and wiped them, that is, the tears, with the hairs of her head. Verse 45. Thou, Simon, gaveth me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. Jesus, confronted by the Bible teacher, who was clueless that he was God. And yet, this poor sinner woman knew exactly who he was. Simon, the Bible teacher, that, who had Jesus over dinner, was a moral fellow, most likely. But he had no notion that he was considered arrogant by Jesus, because all of us at our best moral state are altogether vanity to God, because we are all born with the evil proclivity of pride in our heart, which is ineradicable. Here is what I, former Mr. Morality, told my brethren in Rome. Romans chapter 1, verse 28. And even as they, they all of us before we are made a new creation and even as they did not like to retain god in their knowledge verse 29 they being filled from conception with all unrighteousness with all fornication with all wickedness with all covetousness with all maliciousness Full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parent. That is just a short list of our evil proclivities that live in every one of our hearts. We are all born into this world with the evil proclivity of pride in our heart. Our morality cannot hide that evil proclivity of pride from God, and therefore he sees all of us as a vain show. Listen to King David, Psalm thirty nine, verse five. Verily every man at his best, that is his best moral state, is all together vanity. Verse six surely every man walketh in a vain show if we are all prideful by nature we must come to recognize it and be repentant over it lest we set up ourselves for a fall proverbs 16 verse 18 pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall so this moral bible teacher was guilty of pride as we all are and pride can lead to envy and it was the sin of envy that drove the Pharisees, the religious rulers, and Bible teachers of Israel to want to crucify Jesus. Even Pilate, the Roman leader, knew this. Matthew chapter 27, verse 17. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? Verse 18. For Pilate knew that for envy they had delivered the him yes we must be very careful of envy in our lives for envy run amok caused the pharisees and that would include me former of morality to lead the charge in having god put to death these evil proclivities like envy going undetected because we have covered over them with morality can lead to dire consequences in our lives. In fact, though it seems impossible, we could ignorantly and blindly be led so far off course in our lives that we could, in actuality, be actively engaged in executing God or pulling Him from His throne. I, former Mr. Morality, along with my colleagues, were ignorantly and blindly leading the charge and having God crucified because in our minds, God or Jesus was a rebel rouser that needed to be silenced for not only was God that is Jesus bad for the community, but he was bad for us because he was gaining popularity and we could lose our jobs. That is envy run amok. We can see that these evil proclivities in our heart, unacknowledged, unchecked and unrepentant can lead to a horrific demise in our lives if that evil black cat goes unchecked and works his way out of the black bag. The next thing we know, if we are not repentantly careful, we could be attempting to pull God from his throne, for we are all born into this world hating the true Jesus who is God. Now with that knowledge, Let us return to Jesus, Simon the Pharisee, Bible teacher, and the sinner woman. Verse 44. And Jesus turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet. But this sinner woman hath washed my feet with tears, and wiped them with the hairs of her head verse 45 thou simon gaveth me no kiss but this woman since the time i came in hath not ceased to kiss my feet verse 46 my head with oil thou didst not anoint but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment verse 47 wherefore i say unto thee simon her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. Verse 48. And Jesus said unto her, thy sins are forgiven. Verse 49. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, who is this that forgiveth sins also? Verse 50. And Jesus said unto the woman, thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. So we say to ourselves, Jesus could not have said to this sinner woman, go in peace. Unless her Father in heaven's anger and wrath was legally subdued. And how was his wrath subdued and her sins or lawbreaking forgiven? But Jesus says, Thy faith hath saved thee. That is, saved thee from the wrath to come. What is the only way God could forgive her sins or lawbreaking? but by the second Adam or Jesus being made her original sin and thus condemned to hell by his father in her stead. And then he, Jesus, who knew no sin, was risen from the dead by his father, symbolizing he had fulfilled his father's commands perfectly for his elect while here on earth as a gift. To this sinner woman, both Jesus' passive obedience on the cross and his active obedience while here on earth are called Christ's righteousness or the righteousness of God, which, when she laid a hold of it by faith, enabled her father in heaven to forgive her. For Jesus subdued his father's wrath against her giving her and unspeakable joy therefore this sinner woman was legally forgiven by her faith in the righteousness of God not her own self-righteousness and she was at peace with God or her father in heaven for he saw his son's obedience to be her own personal obedience and his anger was subdued This sinner woman was saved by faith and she becomes a portrayal of the true experience of every true Christian who has been made a new creation by Jesus. This sinner woman is as fervent as she is because as a new creation, she innately knows the proper use of the law with its two functions. Number one, Jesus demands perfection, which is impossible humbling her for she mournfully knows that she is falling short of the glory of god making her with tears of joy to flee to the righteousness of jesus christ for her salvation and the second function of the law is to be used as a broom to stir up the evil proclivities of her heart keeping her in a life of repentance and her experience is the experience of every true Christian. But whether we have yet to reach the wicked gate and become a new creation, or if we are a new spiritual creation, we must remember that we are in a spiritual war and we have three enemies. We are warring against our own sin nature. We are warring against Satan. And we are not dead fish floating downstream, but we are live fish swimming upstream against the current of this world. For there are many worldly wise men of this world, offering to loose our burden of original sin off our back by sending us deceitfully to Mr. Legality's house that we might again put on false fig leaves of morality to cover up the evil proclivities of our heart rather than exposing them, taking away our mournful but joyful repentance in tears of unspeakable joy. Now, let us review Evangelist scolding of Christian for listening to Mr. Worldly Wiseman. Quote, And for this thou, Christian, must consider to whom he, Mr. Worldly Wiseman, sent thee, and also how unable that person, Mr. Legality, was to deliver thee from thy burden. He to whom thou was sent for ease, being by name Legality, is the son of the bondwoman who now is and is in bondage with her children, and is in a mystery, this Mount Sinai, which thou hast feared, will fall on thy head. Now, if she with her children are in bondage, how canst thou expect by them to be made free? This legality, therefore, is not able to set thee free from thy burden, No man was as yet ever rid of his burden by Mr. Legality. No, nor ever is like to be. Ye cannot be justified by the works of the law, for by the deeds of the law no man living can be rid of his burden. Now, let us reread and emphasize just one sentence above. He that is Christian, to whom thou wast sent for ease, being by name legality, is the son of the bondwoman, who now is, and is in bondage with her children. And is in a mystery, this Mount Sinai, which thou hast feared, will fall on thy hand. After former Mr. Moraldi, one of the worst persecutors of the church, was made a new creation by Jesus, he began to reread the same Bible that he was a top scholar of as a Pharisee. And he immediately realized that the idiot fisherman, Peter, who had not been to seminary, had not been to college, had the right interpretation of the Bible, and he the wrong. For Jesus had revealed himself to Peter and made him a new creation. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the son of man M verse 14 and they said some say that thou art John the Baptist some say Elijah others Jeremiah or one of the prophets verse 15 Jesus saith unto them but whom say ye that I am verse 16 and Simon Peter answered and said thou art the Christ the son of the living God verse 17 and Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon bar Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven has revealed it unto thee. In other words, no man can reveal to us the God side of the God man, only the Father in heaven. Can reveal to us who the true Jesus is. Now, as former Mr. Morality reread the life of Abraham and Sarah, God showed him it was an allegory on the function of the law in conjunction with the promises of God. Former Mr. Morality is going to harshly rebuke his Galatian brethren for being deceived by Mr. Worldly Wiseman and being sent to Mr. Legality's house to ease their burden. As we read this passage, let us note how John Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress, was using this passage above in his Pilgrim's Progress. Here is his rebuke. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. I... The Apostle Paul, or former Mr. Morality, marvel that ye, my Galatian brethren, are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Verse 7, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Verse 8, but though we, or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Verse 9, As we said before, so say I, the Apostle Paul, now again, if any man, preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be a curse. Now skipping forward to chapter 4, verse 20. I, the Apostle Paul, desire to be present with you now and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you tell me ye that desire to be under the law do ye not hear the law verse 22 for it is written that abraham had two sons the one ishmael by a bondmaid hagar the other Isaac, by a free woman, Sarah, Abraham's wife. Verse 23, but Ishmael, who was of the bondwoman, Hagar, was born after the flesh. But Isaac, of the free woman, Sarah, was by promise. Verse 24, which things are an allegory? For these are the two covenants it's the covenant of works which adam was under before he fell and the covenant of grace in which the second adam by his passive obedience took on hell for us and his active obedience fulfilled the moral law for us which is called the covenant of grace the one from mount sinai that's the covenant of works which gendereth to bondage because our fig leaves of morality can't make us holy which is hagar verse 25 for this hagar is mount sinai in arabia and answereth to jerusalem which now is, is in bondage with her children. Verse 26, but Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. There is an abundance of doctrine packed into the verses above, which we just read and we in the upcoming messages of the congregation of the dead series will study in detail these verses but from the introduction of these verses we can see how passionate former mr morali was in rebuking his galatian brethren quote as we said before so I, the Apostle Paul, now again say, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. So let us conclude with evangelist rebuke of Christian. And notice that how similar it is to former Mr. Morality's rebuke of his Galatian brethren who were revisiting Mr. Legality's house. Then Evangelist proceeded saying, give more earnest heed to the things that I shall tell thee of. I will now show thee who it was that deluded thee and who it was also to whom he sent thee the man that met thee is the one worldly wise man and rightly is he so called partly because he savors only the doctrine of this world that is the doctrine of free will as opposed to the doctrine of the bondage of the will therefore he worldly wise man always goes to the town of morality to go to church, and partly because he loves that doctrine best, for it saves him from the cross. And because he is of this carnal temper, therefore he seeks to to pervert my ways, though right. Now, there are three things in this man's counsel that thou must utterly abhor. Number one, his turning thee out of the way. Number two, his laboring to render the cross odious to thee. Number three, and his setting thy feet in that way that leads on to the administration of death. First, thou must abhor turning thee out of the way, yea, and thine own consenting thereto. Because this is to reject the counsel of God for the sake of the counsel of a worldly wise man. The Lord says, agonize to enter in at the straight gate, the wicked gate to which I sent thee. For straight is the gate that leads unto life and few there be that find it. From this little wicked gate, and from the way thereto, hath this wicked man turned thee to the bringing of thee almost to destruction. Hate, therefore, his turning thee out of the way, and abhor thyself for hearkening unto him. Secondly, thou must abhor his laboring to render the cross odious unto thee, for thou art to prefer it before the treasures in Egypt. Besides, the king of glory hath told thee that he that will save his life shall lose it. And he that comes after him and hates not his father and mother and wife and children, his brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also. He cannot be his disciple. I say, therefore, for a man to labor to persuade thee that thou shalt be thy death, without which the truth has said thou canst not have eternal life, this doctrine thou must abhor. Thirdly, thou must hate his setting of thy feet in the way that leadeth to the ministration of death. And for this thou must consider to whom he sent thee, and how unable that person was to deliver thee from thy burden. He to whom thou wast sent for ease, being by name legality, is the son of the bondwoman, who now is, and is in bondage with her children, and is in a mystery. This Mount Sinai, which thou hast feared, will fall on thy head. Now if she with her children are in bondage, How canst thou expect by them to be made free? This legality, therefore, is not able to set thee free from thy burden. No man was ever yet rid of his burden by him. No, nor ever is like to be. He cannot be justified by the works of the law, for by the deeds of the law, no man living can be rid of his burden therefore mr worldly wiseman is an alien and mr legality is a cheat and for his son civility notwithstanding his simpering looks he is but a hypocrite and cannot help thee believe me there is nothing in all this noise that thou hast heard of these sodish men but at design to beguile thee of thy salvation by turning thee from the way in which I had set thee. After this, evangelist called aloud to the heavens for confirmation of what he had said. And with that, there came words and fire out of the mountain under which poor Christian stood that made the hair of his flesh stand up. The words were thus pronounced as many, as are of the works of the law are under the curse of the law, that is curse to hell. For it is written by Moses, Curses every one that continues not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Now Christian looked for nothing but death and began to cry out lamentably, even cursing the time in which he met with worldly wise men, still calling himself a thousand fools. For hearkening to his counsel, he also was greatly ashamed to think that this gentleman's arguments, flowing only from the flesh, should have that prevalency with him as to cause him to forsake the right way. This done, he applied himself again to evangelists in words and sense as follows. Christian, sir, what you think? Is there any hope? May I now go back and go up to the wicked gate? Shall I not be abandoned for this and sent back from thence ashamed? I am sorry I have hearkened to this man's counsel, but may my sin be forgiven. Evangelist said, Thy sin is very great, for by it thou hast committed two evils. Thou hast forsaken the way that is good, to tread in forbidden paths. Yet will the man at the gate receive thee, for he has good will for men. Only, said he, take heed that thou turn not aside again, lest thou perish from the way when his wrath is kindled a little. Then did Christian address himself to go back an evangelist after he had kissed him gave him one smile and bade him Godspeed. And may Godspeed be to us Americans who have yet to enter in through straight as a gate and narrow is the way, and to not let our foot off the accelerator, no matter how long it takes. St. Augustine and John Bunyan, if you've listened to the other tapes, took many years before they made it through the wicked gate. Just think of the Apostle Paul himself, who persecuted the Christians for years before he found his way through straight as the gate and narrow as the way. But now let us listen to the great change in the Apostle Paul when he prays for his Ephesian brethren. This is Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus, jesus christ of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named in order that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man that is the new creation in order that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, in order that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, that is, from the day that you were converted, that ye may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth all knowledge in order that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ throughout all ages, world, without end. Amen. To be continued, may the Lord bless thee and keep thee. In the name of Jesus, amen.